you've joined Pathways to Resilience, the podcast where real people share real stories, helping us build our playbook toward resilience. And now here's our host, Melissa Santos. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Pathways to Resilience. Uh, Today, I am joined by Sharon Winston, who is the executive director and CEO of Project Hired in the Bay Area of California. And um, I'm looking forward to this conversation, and we have one coming next as well, around the areas of accessibility um, and disability justice, but really around accessibility and leadership and really allowing people to access their passions and their work in the ways that work for them and how that really can create an incredible organization and an incredible team. And in my first conversation with Sharon, heard a bunch about how she's doing that. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Sharon, thanks for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Melissa. Uh Uh-huh. So Sharon, how about telling us a little bit about yourself and about Project Hired? Oh, I'd love to. First, I want to thank everybody for sharing some of their time with me today. Um, Project Hired is an extraordinary organization founded in 1978. It's based on a mission that's to help individuals with disabilities to gain and to sustain employment. And that has been our theme the entire time that we've been around. We do so right now with no cost job search training and support services to individuals with um, disabilities. And by the way, it's all disabilities. Um, Sometimes people think a disability is something you can see, but 70% of the disabilities that we all have are unseen. Mm. And so our agency deals in everything you can imagine. The caveat we have is the individual has to be over 18 and able to go back to work independently. Mm. So we fit into a niche here in our marketplace where you have the most extraordinarily wonderful services that work with the developmentally disabled. Uh And we work with those who are disabled but able to go back to work independently. And very often that audience, to be very honest with you, that group of clients, are those of us who have acquired a disability later in life, who have to completely remake or redesign our lives. Yeah, I think... um... I'm curious when you say when you say that because when I think about um, just your statement of saying that it's often people who experienced a disability later in their life and they're needing to rebuild, and the world is not always available for that rebuilding. Correct. And so, um, in what ways? What are some of the themes or ways you think Project Hired most is most helpful to people? in breaking down some of those barriers to access work again after experiencing a disability? Well, there are two sides to that very particular question that you ask. One, very honestly, is working with the client, the individual who has the disability, and I'll talk about that in just a sec. And the other is working with the corporations who tend to be kind of reticent about hiring individuals with disabilities. And it's going to be harder work or They'll have to make exceptions for the individuals and like that. So a lot of our our, um, opportunity is to educate potential employers by saying, and the studies prove this out, National Organization on Disability, all sorts of um, uh, associations that do surveys on disability um, 
would tell you, frankly, that when you hire someone who has a disability, they work harder. Well, they tend to be more creative, more innovative, primarily because most of their um, workarounds, they've had to do that in their personal lives with the disability. Almost a skill set they've had to, that they've acquired in just trying to exist in the world to be and creative. Honed and yeah. honed yeah. to such a point that yeah. they use it all the time. Uh-huh. Just uh-huh. to manage their disability, like um, you see stairs you can't get up, right? Uh-huh. How do I get in the building? Well, when they see a problem at work or a um, project to be solved, they're going to go, oh, yeah, I can figure that out. Oh. And a lot of people will be uh, stopped immediately by a problem at work. And it tends, and, it, and the surveys show that the, uh, the individuals with disabilities tend not to be those people. They also tend to have a, a level of gratitude for having the opportunity to work that usually isn't expressed by a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll put that to the side now. That's the employer part where we get to educate. The other part that we find so inspiring for us is the work we do with individuals who come to us. And some have a great attitude, they're optimistic, they're let's keep going. And others are very much in the valley. Uh, cool. Shall we say a realization of how things have changed for themselves? Mm-hmm. Some are also in the valley of victimization. I'm a victim mm-hmm. of what's happened. Mm-hmm. And a great deal of our time, and this is where we specialize and others cannot, we can take as much time as is needed to help an individual reframe their approach to the companies they want to get hired at. And not be mad, and frankly, if they don't get hired, or mad at the world. Or how do I hide my disability, which we absolutely do not believe in. Mm-hmm. Because there's no question you must be able to talk frankly with your um, employer and before you actually sign that final uh, acceptance letter. Um, so we're working in that area a lot. And that takes up perhaps anywhere from two to sometimes even 10 of the first one-on-one meetings that we offer with our career coach is around managing that. And then how do you reframe yourself if you're coming into the situation either with a new disability or very often we work with individuals who are acquiring another disability on top of one they already have. I'll stop there because again, (laughs) and it's okay. Let let it flow. I think what, um, well, one, what what an amazing um, service that is to folks, but also what an example to think about um, and many people are like thinking of changing careers right now or um, or, or are needing to change careers because there are you know massive layoffs going on in certain corporations and industries um, to pause if for those two to 10 sessions with someone or with one's self to say, what are my own blocking? What am I how am I blocking myself with a, with a disability or just with um some insecurity or with uh, just un- some pieces of information I don't know or whatever, that just things that hold us all back. What a great lesson that that's just as part as much a part of the sort of job and employment search and quest as is a solid resume, perhaps more important than the solid resume. I think very much. And, and you sort of introduced in what your comments that you've just made. Also, something else that's that parallels or is another layer of what happens with individuals with disabilities, we tend to be older. Mm. And then there's ageism. Mm-hmm. And um, for those who wish to believe ageism does not exist, I must say, I have to disabuse you of that. 
Ageism does exist. And qualifications are not necessarily what some employers are looking for. And so how do you also start to embrace your experience and the years you've you've acquired of knowledge and institutional information and make that a benefit to an employer? So we also have to function as we do in our mock interviewing and like that. How do you overcome what you might perceive quite correctly as mm to your getting. And it may not be about the disability. It may actually be about some of the ageism. And one thing I'll, I'll comment, another statistic, you know, 83% of us will have a disability before we go up to kiss the stars. Ooh. We become stardust. And that means that the population, which is one in four Americans, have a disability. Not know someone with a disability, but have one. Well, so our work is extensive and ongoing, and um, while inspirational, I mean, believe me, I'd rather everybody had a job and we went out of work. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, but I thought I'd, I'd, add, I'd add that layer of what happens to all of us, but also to those with, it, with disabilities. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I love hearing about and just how you light up and your passion around your work with clients and partnerships with employers. Um, when we first talked, you I also was just so struck by your leadership style. And you talked about as a leader, which you've been in your role, you've been in a leadership role in other industries, but at Project Hired for quite some time. You talked about how you really see your role as a leader as breaking down roadblocks for those that that you're leading. Can you tell us about that approach and kind of how you do that? Well, I'd be very happy to. One of the things I'll say is I'm talking to you, so we say many, many years after um, traveling the rough road of learning about leadership. And so I speak from a great deal of experience and a great deal of failure. Uh-huh. Again, failure is not fatal, to quote John Wooden, as long as you change afterwards. Right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, I, I come to you as a well-practiced change leader in two okay. ways. I've had to change myself. Uh-huh. I want it to grow. And then also I have to be aware of what's changing around me as a leader. And so that's probably one of the biggest things I'll say. So powerful. I want to pause. I just want to, I really want to point that out. So a, a change leader, which... We we all anybody in leadership can we quote all the time how change is the only constant. But I love what you just said is that it's been it's really about self change of self, learning from failures and listening truly listening to those around us, and change that I need to be aware of what's going on in in the greater environment. None of those things, um, both of those things come from self. So just this idea around um, how we can have education and we can have an experience and we can have a three-page resume and we can read all the books of leadership, but that truly it comes down to how am I showing up? How am I learning from what works and doesn't work? And with whom and of what am I showing up within um, that I need to be able to be responsive to? So continue, but I just wanted, that's I think so important, such a lesson. Well, I've had a lot of lessons. <laughs> um, I've had 360 reviews that I went out and sat in the parking lot and had a good cry over, you know, that kind of thing. Um, 
But then I'd look at it and I'd read it and I'd go talk to somebody about it. And they say, okay, I think I'm doing the right thing. It's not coming across as the right thing. Oh, and really came back to some very interesting 101 basics. And these are some of the things I practice in order to beat down the roadblocks that get in the way of my employees doing their best work. Mm -hmm. And the first is you have to become an exceptionally, really devoted listener. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you have to hear a lot of stuff that's between the lines or notice things that either are happening or are not happening. And so you have to really be listening and watching. The other is you have to love questions. Mm -hmm. So just as a small example, um, when I first came into Project Hired, and I'd done this in my other leadership roles, I sat down with each employee and I'd say, hi, how are you? Can you tell me something about yourself? And they would. And I said, okay, how would you run this place? Oh, wow. Quiet. Then I'm just quiet because they've been killing to tell somebody. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and they've been talking about it amongst each other. So you might as well get in on that. Yeah. Well, there are whiteboards and lunchrooms everywhere. Right. And <laughs> now the talk about how the agency ought to run or how the company ought to really run, uh -huh. right? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. You know, there, there are people from Facebook, Facebook and from uh, Twitter right now in Starbucks with computer yep. diagrams all of designed on how those companies ought to run. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So my assumption was that every single person I would talk to on a staff, right, when I first come in as a leader, they know how the company ought to run and they know where parts of it are broken there were parts of it are not broken and there's a key element there where parts of it are not broken so those conversations are extremely rich what you have to remember is to have them all the time right it's not just when you come to the org and you're do your yeah yeah the critical piece is for everybody to know you're always listening you're available and one of the things i i found that was the hardest to do is when someone comes to you, you really need to stop in the moment, be present. Getting somewhere or doing something else is never more important than that which is really, really causing pain in an employee. Oh. And I'd rather apologize for being late to a lunch, right? Well, really, well, to a meeting to say, I needed to spend time with my employee versus saying to the employee, you know, how about three o'clock? And then you yeah. walk off into the sunset, right? And by three o'clock, they've talked themselves out of talking to you. Well, well, yeah. when you missed a moment to be a partner in their solution. Yeah. Yeah. I had to learn all that the hard way. And I yeah. like to think I did. Um, but I also think the other thing is, is to be a really great partner with them and to be looking out for their career, both inside the um, company or agency that you're currently with Look out for their, their career inside, but be talking to them about their next job because every employee is only on loan to us, well, only on loan. And if you start thinking you possess an employee, you're heading down the wrong road. Well, you're not going to be then breaking down their roadblocks to getting work done. You're instead going to be building them up to house them, to keep them, to hold them hostage. Yeah, yeah. An interesting mindset you have to watch out um, for yourself. Um, but there's small things. I'll give you back just real quick. It's always the small things that seem to matter the most. I set everybody down when I got project hired and I said, okay, how would you run the company? And to a person, they all said, why are we staying open till 530? We can't get any work done. We're always open. If we could close, <laughs> if, if we could close it, 
you know, five or four thirty. So I listened to everybody and I announced a week later, we're going to run our office hours are going to be from nine to four and um, don't come in till 8.30 and don't stay past five, but you'll have an hour and a half to get work done every day. Well, geez. <laughs> well, wow, that, that, that wasn't, that was actually, we want to be more productive for you and easy, low hanging, talk about low hanging fruit. Sure. You know, when you're talking about listening, I do want to pa- pause just to say, and, and because when I hear you listening, even just, I mean, you're very engaging to to speak with Sharon. This is only our second time speaking and, we're, and we haven't even been in person, um, but it's coming. I, I mean, we got it. I know. <laughs> I, I agree. But, but listening without wanting, without um, defending or looking for solution. I mean, I think that can be difficult as a, a leader. I'm listening, but at the same time, I'm going, okay, but if they just this, okay, but if um, we're trying this, you know, and, oh, yes, we absolutely agree with you on that. We just can't make it happen because, right? Like, that's not really what people want to hear. And it's not what makes people feel heard. Very much so. So you're talking about patience and letting go. Uh, yeah, I guess so. No one, <laughs> one shows up and they're talking about, you need to do this when you, I've already done that. And, but you have to sit there with great patience and what you have to, what I believe is really great for me that I've learned over time. Okay. Let's pay attention to that person who didn't hear it, who didn't see it, who didn't feel it. Why didn't they? Are they part-time? Are they, um, somebody who who's you know kind of a bad apple and they're always looking for something and no matter how well you hire you always have someone on the island right listeners we're casting doom and gloom or is this a person who legitimately didn't get what you were saying right oh then that becomes a communication opportunity for me it also um and you're right there are times you say there isn't enough money to do something now Yes, you're right. Yes, we should. Don't have the money right now. Do you think we could raise it? How do you think we could raise it? So you really work with that person as a solution. But I'll tell you, patience, which for me, because I'm a headline kind of gal and I'm used uh-huh. to running fast. And I used to run sales organizations for a big bank, um, Great Western Bank, and then for um, ADECO, which is the world's largest temporary employer. I ran sales organizations. That requires no patience. <laughs> 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 things done. But the opportunity to lead staffs insists on patience and the patience to listen fully because sometimes they, I, I swear I've said several conversations in my lifetime where the person who came in to complain ended up 20 minutes later going, well, yeah, you did say that in the staff meeting, didn't you? Mm. Yeah, I do remember that email coming out, you know? And it's very funny. Part of your problem gets solved by the person doing the talking. Mm-hmm. They get there on their own. And the other two thirds, we got something to learn or something to do or a performance issue. You just described, and this word hadn't even really come up in our conversations, but certainly has is a theme of the podcast, being sort of trauma informed in your impro- approach. When that person first comes to you with whatever it is, um, that they and they didn't hear you. It, whatever you, the thing you delivered, they heard. They heard as a threat, and oftentimes, and so they're coming from that part of their brain that says fight, flight, or freeze. I need my job, and you've got my job in the palm of your hand. 
And so sometimes I'm going to, I'm going to freeze or flight and I'm going to start calling out sick, but other times I'm going to fight. You've said your doors open. I'm coming in. Um, and your response that is patient and collaborative rather than butting up again, also rather than seeing that as threatening as a leader and butting up against that, which then goes nowhere fast um, or somewhere really uncomfortable fast. Instead, you're taking this approach that says, okay, let, let me really hear you. Let me, let me tap into your thinking around it in this sort of calm, non-reactive way, which, which then ignites the other part of our brain that is able to say, ah, uh, yeah, you know, Sharon, I think I did remember you saying that um, without you having to say, well, that was in an email, right? Like we have that inner that says, did you read the email last prop Friday? Probably not. You don't, you don't need to read the emails I send out and I detail that. That's not what's going to get, um, move the relationship and move the employee forward. Move the work forward for the clients. Exactly. And there's a couple of things that, that um, you remind me of in your, in your um, comments there. And one is that um, I love jigsaw puzzles. And frankly, people's filters for me are like jigsaw puzzles. Mm-hmm. How does everyone filter in the information that I share or give or what we're doing, right? And some people, um, very honestly, and I can tell you, I've, I've, I've had many people on my staff say this, I don't trust your leadership style for about a year. <laughs> and I haven't seen that. What do you mean you're asking me my opinion? What do you mean you want to know what's going on with me? And when I say to my staff, because I know filters are very different, but filters affect jobs. Mm-hmm. Well, my staff, family first. I'm wanting mm-hmm. family okay first. Then I want you okay first. Then whatever else is the most important to you is third. And then I'd love for you to pay attention to the job. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever believes me. Mm-hmm. But when you do that, my personal observation, my personal experiences, and in particular here at Project Tired, where quite frankly, I can't pay the, sa- the salaries that all my employees deserve that they get out in industry. Yep. You have to set up an environment where they feel housed beautifully so they can get work done, which yeah. requires things like flexible schedules, understanding the things they bring to work from relationships, family situations, loss, um, whatever's going on with them. Not that I become a psychologist or therapist. I do not. Yep. yep. But you have to make room for their lives. And when you do that, I get the most extraordinary amount of work out of people by never asking. They just, oh, I want to get a little more done. Yeah, let, 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 maybe I'll do it at, you know, nine o'clock at night. And then I'm I'm writing them back and saying, you shouldn't be working at night. <laughs> then they write me back and say, neither should you. <laughs> or they might write back and say, remember that flex schedule? I had to pick my kids up this afternoon and this is when I can work. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But it yeah. really come from yeah. that place, loving to, d- d- to discern what the filters are, really believing family first, individual worker first. You're going to do okay, but I, I will say the caveat to that is, boy, if you can't love people who get all our beauty and all our not beautiful part well you shouldn't be leading well well you really shouldn't because it's a hard job sure is it's it's while it's the greatest inspiration of my life to be given the compliment to lead people it is really hard work and humbling i think more than anything else 
I'll just close by saying and very humbly. Yeah, I agree. And that was that family first um, co uh, commitment that you have was was one of the things that I really um, just loved hearing and was inspired by when we first spoke because you look you gave examples of family first, individual first, yes. trusting that people will get the work done um, when you give them the space to whatever flex their schedule, you know, whatever, when it's possible, right? There's people have their roles and they, but you don't worry about that. You trust that they're going to get, they're going to meet the, meet the deliverables and meet and get the work done. I, it reminded me, and I don't remember if we spoke about this before, but you know, before the world shut down and we were going to conferences, um, in person, I was at this, at a conference and, um, listening to these HR folks and, uh, talking about, uh, leading, you know, across generations, which I've heard many of those things. Uh, but what was emerging even pre-pandemic uh, amongst multiple generations was this idea of seeing me as my whole self. Mm -hmm. And what they said is that you, ha you have to assume that when you say how many people are in my workforce, if you say 10, you need to multiply that uh -huh, by two and a half or more. Yet no, it is not just the person that's on your payroll. It's who really the it's really your beneficiary list on <laughs> your employee benefits packages uh, was the number they were saying. That's the number of people in your workforce because those those children, those parents they're caring for, those partners, those whoever grandparents, those folks are going to impact their ability, their willingness, their passion, their their ability for you to feel beautifully housed um, or not. Because um, that's who's most important to our staff. And if we don't acknowledge or at least build our policies and our thinking around that, we're missing a huge piece of what's most important, more than salary, more than flexible schedule, you know, for our for our staff. Would you agree? I would very much, and I share with you something I'm sure you've heard before. Mahatma Gandhi said, "Become the change you seek." Uh -huh. If you want peace in the world, you want harmony, you want a good working environment. You, it's not even just thinking to do this stuff. You have to be this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been the great journey that I've been on to become. And I, I invite everybody to go call my employees because <laughs> this is my version of myself. This is what I'm working on, what I've worked to do. Um, I hope my employees feel this most of, the most of the time, if not all the time. But I think it's been quite a journey to get to a place where the first thing that I react to is just take a breath and let it go. Take a breath and hear what's being said versus I got something to do or, or I got a deadline or, or why are you here again? You yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> which is a good one. Why are you here again? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. No, no. Um, look at the work. Does the work get done? I don't have to have it done in a box. Mm -hmm. I just need the work done. I need my clients cared for. Right. And that's probably why this works so well for me now in particular, and also during a pandemic. Good Lord. Uh, what am I supposed to do? Say, okay, check in with me at nine o'clock when you come in, send me an email. When you leave at five, send me an email. You can't do that. For right. Right. 
Right. And so the honing of this style or this embracing of how to lead people um, has served me particularly well during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of us are learning. It's kudos to you that you were already doing that. And so you were able to sort of what a nice buffer and sort of soft landing place to be able to figure everything else out. That when I know there was a lot you had to figure out during the pandemic. Um, and I think the many industries and organizations are catching up to that and going, oh, crap, if we don't <laughs> if we don't get to a place where we're caring about the whole person and truly caring about the wellness of them and the families and the things and people they care about, we're going to lose people. How do we do that? How do we shift to that? That's a big shift if that's not been at the heart center of your organization. And I want to say clearly and distinctly, HR can't do it. Yeah, let's come from the highest levels of an organization so that the vice presidents and division leaders are feeling they're cared for. So then they want to care for their people. And then the the individuals, the managers who are running the field operations, they feel cared for. And so it's not something you can't wave, wave a magic wand. You can't hand out a notebook on it. You can't give a one hour seminar on it. Um, it really is to be enculturated. Yeah. Yeah. When you first described this leadership style and, you know, so we were talking about when we talked about this, I thought how interesting what, what that you talked about breaking down barriers, breaking down barriers for your staff to be able to do their job well. And those barriers, whether they're the barriers of were open from nine to five thirty, that was a barrier people gave to you. Um, and then, you know, then there's the other barriers of, you know, do I, can I get up this, do I have to go up the stairs, right? There's things that are really blatant and then there's other things that are nuanced for each employee. I, but I did, I did sort of see this parallel between your own journey and work in disability justice and accessibility and this overarching um, commitment that your each of your employees feels like they can access their best selves um, in whatever way works for them with it, you know. And again, I don't. I'm sure there's certain. Yes, it has to be at least nine to four, right? <laughs> um, that we need to. We're not seeing clients at seven p.m. But, but do you see that same parallel between your work around just, just disability justice and this commitment to breaking down barriers? I wonder which came first. You know, I, I have to say very honestly, it's like a two lane highway, mm. all honesty. And it all is of a, it's all together. It really is. Um, I think when you break down barriers and people see that at work, then they're able to help others break down barriers. I think there's still so much more work to do. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not necessarily so much a project hired in some space, but when it comes to, um, talking about the justice for individuals who are uh, not maybe necessarily what you would call mainstreamed in some people's minds. We have a lot of work still. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And I think, again, it it comes very much from the individual. It then can very much come from organizations. Um, But right now, I'd say my personal experience has been, and I'm going to say this very honestly, I was in banking as a young woman. It's an institution that'll beat down a woman like you can't believe. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Not sure how it's going. I was just going to say, not sure how much farther we've come. But um, yeah, 
So, so, you know, I've been patted, I'm only five feet tall. So I've been patted on my head by another banker. So, well, that's really good that you did that. I mean, I wanted to punch the guy, but yeah, yeah. You know, how do you manage, how do you manage through those barriers? And so that's the kind of climate I've come up in. So I think it's really parallel lanes that I've been seeing Mm -hmm. in, in that respect. So I have to say, and, and it's, it's the beginning of a highway, not the end. Mm. I'm only five feet. I'm only five feet too tall too, Sharon. We don't know that because we've not seen each other in person. But when we do, we'll be we'll be matching. Right. right. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Well, with my secret weapon through most of my career. How so? Always underestimated. It was uh, great. Always yeah. underestimated. Then I let the work and the accomplishments speak, and uh-huh. from that grows your opportunity to do. Uh huh. So, yeah, yeah. And then people would always tell me sometimes, like in sales in particular, but Sharon, you're not taking people to baseball games and sending them wine. I said, no, I'm making sure their projects run like you can't believe perfectly. And then I'd get more sales than the other guy. And it was very interesting to also sometimes break certain norms, um, but to do it very subtly. So, yeah, yeah. Well, and with heart, it sounds seems like that's been been a theme, right? Like, I mean, people care about the about their projects getting done more than they care about th- those baseball seats and that wine are shiny and fun and make people feel important. But at the end of the day, if the project's not getting done, um, then they're not going to come back to you. Correct. Your boss doesn't say to you, "Gee, did you enjoy the Dodgers game?" They go, right. "Did we get that project done?" Right. Yes. And this is the vendor who helped us, and it was wonderful. Right. And make sure you sign the, those people up again, then. Well, um, yeah, no, yeah. It was never, I personally thought, the baseball games. And on top of it, <laughs> if you take them to a baseball game, then they want a fancy dinner. Then they want a football game tickets. Then they want to go to the moon. And the trouble with that is they'll turn on you in a minute if something goes wrong in a project. Mm. I often thought people took their eye off what the real ball was, the real ball game was, versus the sort of hype. So, yeah, yeah. Well, so many strings through this are threads of of resilience, both your own resilience um, and how you model that and also tap into others. Um, so I'll ask you the question that, that I ask each guest, which is, from your perspective, what is resilience? I think there's sort of a four-part answer. Um, I think it's gratitude. Well, I think it's optimism. I think it's stubbornness, <laughs> and I think it's a willingness to change more than adapt, because I think uh, that's that's a whole different thing. So I'll start with gratitude, and I don't mean to go Oprah on you, but I love Oprah. You just yeah, go go Oprah. But but if you can't wake up every morning <laughs> grateful to be alive and grateful to be where we are, and I know it's a little troubled in our our USA, but but. You know, it's not a ditch in the round or, or, you know, like that. So if you want to wake up with a, a real strong sense of, I'm glad to be alive today. What can I do with my day? How can I help some people? Um, I think that is an exceptional piece of part of um, resilience without question, that you actually understand we are lucky to be alive. We're lucky to have an opportunity to help other people. So I think that's one part. And that sort of starts at the, at the very beginning. And then I think optimism. I mean, optimism, I think um, some people think it's very Pollyanna. They look at me and they think, oh, my gosh, you know, Pollyanna kind of stuff. Not really at all. Um, well, in, in fact, 
I'm going to quote the Dalai Lama specifically because I, I I have lots of quotes in my life. I use. <laughs> Optimism doesn't mean that you're blind. It means that you remain motivated to seek a solution to whatever the problem arises. Mm. And believe it or not, I think optimism, and to a great extent, leads over into stubbornness. And believe it or not, I'm going to quote a movie. If you've ever seen the movie The Martian, the guy's stuck on Mars, right? He should be dead. He isn't dead. Now he's got to work through staying alive, right? And you always said, and it's very true, work on the problem in front of you that's the mm. most important. Mm. And so I think your optimism, which is around the fact you can solve a problem, then you want to go in and stubbornly solve the problem. Uh, yeah. and, you know, and you want to find the most important problem each time. I think um, a lot of what we have going on in our lives right now is extreme distraction. Well, I got a thousand things coming at me, so I won't do the most important things because that might hurt a little, or it might be hard, or it might not taste good, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I think you have to have a willingness to change and I say change, not adapt. Adapt means I'm giving in for a while. I believe this is what adapt means. I'm going to give in for a while, but I'm going to go back to what I was doing. Mm. You have to have in resilience a willingness to really change, to become more than you were before, um, and to really be looking out for that, to be able to say, you know, I really want um, whatever I'm working on or whoever I am, myself, my agency, whatever. I really want that to last, but I need to change in order for that to happen. So I think it's gratitude, optimism, stubbornness, and a willingness to change. That's what I think resilience is. Well, I, I love that. And I love, I think I, if, it, if I'll take, so gratitude, I do certainly try, that is a, a touch point or touchstone for me when I'm feeling, and I don't always do it. And I don't always wake up every morning. I try, but it's a touchstone of going, huh, why am I feeling off? Hmm. Yes. What can I, where can I find the good or where can I find the gratitude? Even if today feels like it's heavy. Um, I really like the, the definition that you made, gave of optimism, that it's not, it's not blindness. And I think that's where sometimes that idea of the Pollyanna, well, hang on, look all that's going on. Well, hang on, because it's true. We, you know, you and I come with certain amounts of privilege as white women. We, as leaders, right? When you're when you're higher up in an organization, there's privilege in that. But it's not being blind to that. It's actually the opposite, which is being very much aware of that um, and seeking solutions um, for the things that are, I love. I really love that, um, Sharon. So thank you for for your thoughtful response to that. And I, I know we have to end with talking about Jerry because that's what you do at Project Hired. So will you tell us just a little bit about about what in a great example of all four of those pieces of of resilience um, that that Jerry was? Um, I'll start by saying that, um, believe it or not, when I was um, eight years old, I read a biography of Helen Keller. And Helen pulled me through life all the way through life up until mm. about seven years ago. She was my hero in every way you can imagine. Because if you go back and look at her life and what she was able to accomplish to overcome her roadblocks that she smashed, well, well, she was always my number one hero. I even quote her in my uh, signature block on my email. But then Jerry came to use our services, Jerry now, and he has passed, but I will speak of him as though he's still with us. So mm -hmm. Jerry came to use our services. And he came through and he had um, two disabilities at that time. 
And we got him connected up with a job and an agency. Believe it or not, the agency sent him back to us to work on our staff. And after mm. I hired, I hired uh, Jerry. And he acquired another, a third disability, and actually a fourth one, leukemia. And um, over the years, he was our job developer. And he showed up no matter what. He showed up at the chemotherapy day. He showed up. Well, he showed up two days after they amputated his toes. He showed up to work. And I was always amazed by this. And I would sit and talk with him again, because, Jerry, what are you seeing? Is there a way we can do something better? And he would say, nope. He said, this job is keeping me alive. Wow. And when he passed, two things I will share with you. He left his entire estate, which to which is just adorable, the thought to do that. Mm-hmm. And his sister said, his sister Jody said without question, the only reason my brother made it two extra years in his life was because of Project Hire and being able to go to work and give back to others. Mm-hmm. So we end every single meeting at Project Hired with, for Jerry, bless his heart, and bless everybody's heart. And that's why we do this work. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, Sharon. For Jerry, appreciate you being with me today. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. Take good care. Thanks for joining Pathways to Resilience, an initiative of Community Solutions. For more information, visit us at www.communitysolutions.org.